Pablo Picasso said, Every child is an artist. The problem is how to remain an artist after growing up. I would add to that statement that it's especially hard in 2021 America. Children have few doubts about themselves as inventors, storytellers, and image makers, but then around the age of 10 or 12, an inner critic kicks in and we start to censor ourselves, judging and editing our output and listening to a society that says, unless you make money doing a thing, you can't legitimately claim that thing. Traditional education doesn't help. Compartmentalizing the arts as separate from academic or core subjects and calling them electives and cutting their funding every time the budget gets tight. This might be one of my hottest hot buttons of all time, which is why I love today's episode. We're talking about how all learning is enhanced and accelerated through the arts and arts integration. I also love today's sponsor, the Art Docent Program, because it makes that integration easy. The Art Docent Program is a visual arts education system that teaches visual art through a 100,000-year historical and cultural timeline. It's a true humanities-based and culturally relevant approach to education. Additional reasons to check out the Art Docent Program at Ed Curation are, number one, it incorporates music, mindfulness, and relaxation to address social and emotional learning. Number two, it uses multimodal learning techniques such as animation, oral storytelling, vocabulary development, and geographical mapping. It exceeds course standards. Number three, it provides needed scaffolding for students with dyslexia and other learning disabilities, and it's endorsed by Mike Thomas, who wrote the book The Successful Dyslexic and a Dyslexic Himself. Number four, not only is it cost-effective, but the Art Docent is currently offering a one-month free trial. Find the Art Docent at edcuration.com and click the Connect to Vendor button to learn more. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have the big ticks that are totally going to push their thinking. Today's guest is absolutely one of my favorite people. Gavin Mayer is a professional theater director who has worked all over the country directing regional and world premieres and has an extremely long list of nominations and awards. Seriously, it would take me the whole episode to read them all. He is the founding co-artistic director for the historic Elitch Theater New Works Festival at the 130-year-old Elitch Theater in Denver. Gavin currently serves as an assistant professor of theater and director of musical theater at Ithaca College's nationally ranked and NAST accredited theater arts program. But most importantly, he is an amazing and inspiring teacher and a genuinely lovely, caring and kind human being. So Gavin Mayer, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you because I admire you greatly. And I'm really interested in hearing all about arts integration and what you have done as an educator. 
with the arts. But first, just tell us a little bit about your background as an artist and an educator. Sure. I decided to be a high school drama teacher when I was in eighth grade. I had this amazing high school junior high drama teacher who just inspired me. And I just, the way he made me feel about performing and as a human being and the way he used, did not realizing it at the time, probably, but in hindsight, seeing how he used theater as a tool to make great human beings was something that I really admired and wanted to emulate. And so from eighth grade on, I was, I was a one-track mind, you know, I, I loved acting. It's what I did, but I was a one-track mind of wanting to become a high school theater teacher. And so every move I made from, from eighth grade on was all about trying to find my way into teaching. I taught at Pomona High School in Arvada for 10 years and then felt like I was ready to kind of take the next step in my own education. So I went back and got an MFA in directing at Florida State. And then I started teaching in higher ed. So you just said something that really intrigued me. A lot of students who participate in theater in high school get inspired and love performing because it's like a drug. It's amazing. (laughs) But they want to go on and be an actor and be a performer. And you, it had a very different effect on you. You just said that you were intrigued or in, in love with the way that your teacher used theater to make better human beings. Yeah. Well, that was the biggest realization I made as a, as a first year teacher. When you're, when you're in school and you're studying education, as a teacher, especially in secondary education where you have a content area that you're teaching, I think that there's this misconception. I, I certainly had the misconception that theater was going to be 12 hours of my day. And what I discovered was that theater was about an hour of my day, if we're breaking it down, like not literally an hour, but in, if we're looking at a 12 hour day and chunks of it, theater was one one twelfth of my job. And using theater as a tool to try to create good human beings who are compassionate and thoughtful and kind and intelligent, that was really, that was really what my job was. And, and I never thought about that until I started teaching. And as I was talking about my mentor in hindsight, it took me hindsight to realize like, yeah, that's what really attracted me to, to his work was that that's what he was doing. And, and as a junior high student, I didn't know that. But once I was an adult and sort of looking back and, and looking at my own job, that's, that's really what I was doing. I was, I was just trying to use theater as a tool to create quality human beings. So give me an example. How does that work? Well, you know, I mean, it's, it's the things that theater does. Our, our, job, our job as theater artists is to collaborate with one another. It's to understand, to work together towards a common goal, to, if you want to break it down into, into the disciplines, you've got acting where your job is to put yourself in someone, in someone else's shoes and to understand their experience and to have compassion for them. You know, even if you're playing the quote unquote bad guy, you know, you've got to you got to understand why is that bad guy a bad guy? Where did what broke in them that made them feel that way? You know, so, you know, theater is all about the human experience. And and that's ultimately what I love about it is that it gives us a glimpse into one another's experience. And and that's what I was using the tool for, you know, is that's how I was trying to use it as a tool to try to to try, try to create acceptance of our LGBTQ community where they don't have acceptance in other places to try to teach young men who who find it hard to be vulnerable, giving them permission and space to be vulnerable. And especially at a time in their lives where vulnerability is not necessarily something that they're taught is valuable. You know, the whole idea of toxic masculinity to try to neutralize that, to to say, you know, let's let's feel things, let's feel them completely and wholly and not judge one another for the fact that we have feelings. And 
how can we use these towards our art? And, you know, just try to break down barriers between people is what I realized I was really trying to do with theater. And I think the arts integration was a big part of that. You know, I think that that ended up being a big piece of it. Because there's a, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like there's a dimension to which all the arts do that. And I'm curious about the idea of talent, right? And technical excellence allows us to do all of those things that you just talked about better, right? Is that where the pursuit of, of excellence and training and, and even talent comes in? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think there's a couple of different ways to approach that idea. I think for me, this is my role as a professional director. It's my role. Anytime I direct a show, I would rather work with somebody who is 100% kind and 95% talented rather than I will the other way around. Because I think you can make kind people talented. You can't always make talented people kind. And I find that there's something in that about your connection to yourself, to your soul, the the ability to detach from your ego as an artist, to really focus on the work and not on yourself in the work, I think is really, really important. You know, when when we did the pop program, it was it was a passion-based program. And that was the key. The idea, the 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 genesis. What Gavin just mentioned is the arts integration program that he founded during his 10 years teaching at Pomona High School in Colorado. The PAW program, P-A-H, stands for Pomona Arts and Humanities. And it wasn't just about throwing those artsy kids a bone. It was about increasing engagement and achievement overall. The genesis of the, of the PAW program came from my ego, quite frankly. I had been at Pomona for a couple of years and, you know, we had an incredibly strong performing and visual arts program. And I, I, my ego said, no, I want to go work at a magnet school. I want to be at a school with, the, you know, I want to be at the school where, with all the top kids, the most talented kids and, and everything else. And so, you know, I, I went and applied to the Boston Arts Academy and it was there when I sort of, they, they were taking us on a tour. I walked into a math class and the way that they were teaching this math concept through dance was absolutely fascinating to me. There's oh no gosh. way that I could, <laughs> I can't regurgitate what it was. I don't remember the details of it, but I remember thinking, this is pretty magical, you know? Yeah. Because especially in math, where so many artists struggle, I know I did for sure. Me too. But I got back to I got back to school and and they knew that I was sort of the administration knew that I was sort of interested in something else. And so they said, you know, why why can't we start something like that here? Why can't that be our thing? And it was also at a moment where, you know, state testing which I absolutely abhor, was the focus of everything. And so all of us as teachers were asked, how can you make a contribution to creating better, stronger students overall, not just in your discipline, but as, as a member of the larger school community? And so suddenly it became this really interesting idea of, wow, maybe we could do something like this here. We've already got the infrastructure of a really strong performing arts program. At the time, we had an incredibly large band program. I think we had 250 students in the band, you know, wow. in the marching band. So it became, we've, we've, got all the, we've got all the elements now. I'm going to write a show for us and put it on right here in Seaport. Why, it'll be the most up-to-date thing these hicks around here have ever seen. Opening night, we'll have Max Gordon, Sam Harris, Lee Schubert down to give us the once-over. How about it, kids? <laughs> we'll get every kid in this town on our side, and we'll start right now. What do you say? Right now. Come on, kids, let's go. 
So we got this core group of humanities teachers together and we just started dreaming about what can this program look like and what do we want it to do and what do we want it to feel like and what do we want our ideal student walking out of the program to do and fee- and what, what, what do we envision them doing and who are they and who do we want them to be? And so it took a couple of years. It was a passion-based program. We wanted students there who were really excited about the art. We weren't measuring talent when we were right. having students apply. We just wanted students who were really passionate and, and who we felt could really benefit from using that passion as a way to, to grow academically. I was able to work with the PA English class on a project that they were doing in my drama class. And so we, we were able to block class it so that, you know, we were doing, we, we were just doing some really innovative, fun projects that, that got students really excited and assessed them in a way that they had never been assessed before. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just assessing their reading and writing, although that was an integral part that we knew we still needed to maintain that this was not just like a, you know, an artsy free for all. This was, this is again, how are we going to find ways to solidify these students academically? And for, for some of the students, sometimes their arts classes are the only reason they come to school. And so we were trying to take advantage of this program in a way that really got them to buy into the rest of their education. In case you're wondering about supportive research, here's a tiny droplet from the reservoir. The College Board has been documenting the relationship between arts education and SAT scores since 1987. The analysis from the year 2000 showed verbal and math SAT scores of students taking any form of art to be significantly higher than for students who take no art. Their report stated that the students who study the arts are consistently higher academic achievers in general than students who do not. For at-risk students, the advantages are even more striking. They are three times more likely to attend college and complete a bachelor's degree and are more civically minded with higher levels of volunteering and voting. So this idea of the arts making us both better students and better people is solid. So that was sort of the genesis. And, and man, when I took my ego out of it and I really saw the impact of what the program could do for a large swath of students, yeah. it was 10 times more exciting than anything I could have ever imagined it to be. So great. So there's kind of two tracks, if my if I'm understanding right. Kids can be part of the the PAW program at Pomona, or they cannot be part of the PAW program. And then they choose, do they choose a specific area of concentration or focus? So the program has sort of morphed since I left. Okay. So I, I can tell you that the, the original idea was that students would interview. It's not an audition, it's an interview. They would interview for the area that they felt they wanted to focus on. And so it's, as you said, there, there were six areas There were only four areas when I was there, but then they added culinary arts and they added creative writing after I left. Okay. Which is awesome. You know, I mean, anywhere, I think anywhere that you can get students to use their talents and their passions to invest in their wider education, I think that's ideal. But, you know, that that was the passion-based idea was that we were, you know, you've got eighth graders who don't really know who they are yet and what they want to do, but they know what they're excited about. It wasn't until their junior year where they really had to commit to a major. Got it. A quote unquote major. You didn't have to be a part of the pop program to be a part of the arts programs at Pomona. Anybody could still be in band and anybody could still take an acting class. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Denise Federico, 
founding director of the Art Docent Company, and we are proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. We teach humanities-based, remote, hybrid, or in-person visual arts education to students in grades K through 8 by chronologically covering over 100,000 years of art history. Lessons integrate easily into language arts and social studies units to engage students with a wide variety of activities and mediums. The Art Dosen program supports diversity, equity, and inclusion by empowering children to learn about their culture as well as other cultures. The arts have also been shown to support social-emotional learning by increasing respect and empathy for others, boosting self-esteem, and enhancing academic achievement. Contact us through edcuration.com for a free 30-day trial. You don't have to be an art, music, or theater teacher yourself to integrate the arts into your classroom and content. The Art Docent Program makes it easy. And now, back to Gavin. Paint a picture for me of how, like, if I'm a student in the PAW program, how is my math class or how is my English class different than a non-arts integrated class? Well, so it was mostly the humanities that we focused on. The sciences and, and math weren't necessarily a part of it just because it was too complicated. You've got some people who are in pre-algebra and you've got some people who are in calculus in the program. And, and to try to, that was, that was just a little too difficult because that's not grade-based. Where English and social studies were more grade-based. So we could put all the ninth grade PA students together in one theater class and then have them move together as a cohort to their social studies class. And so the, the humanities were much easier. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. The example that I give is, is, you know, instead of studying just the 1920s and the political dynamic of the 1920s, students would, in, would study jazz. And how did jazz influence politics and how did politics influence jazz? And, you know, it, it suddenly becomes a much more interesting conversation when you're looking at it in a context rather than just sort of a, a decade of time with historical events that happen. Yeah. When you start piecing those historical events together with the tissue, the connective tissue of politics or the connective tissue of an arts form. And what is the how is the art a reflection or a reaction to what's happening happening politically? during that time period, you're still covering the 1920s and the students are still understanding the Great Depression and the students are still understanding the, the, the crash of the stock market or the roaring 20s that came out of the 1918 pandemic, right? All of a sudden, the connective tissue feels a lot more meaningful, I think, and it also puts it in a context that they're excited about learning it. And it's also what they're interested in learning about, you know, it's their passion. And so I think the other way that it, it looked a lot different was it was much more kinesthetic than a traditional classroom. You know, it was a lot more get up on your feet projects. The arts are a place to collaborate. And that's really what we're trying to do is we're trying to break down barriers and teach people how to work together and to be collegial. And, you know, all the things that I was talking about earlier about, you know, breaking down those walls and, and just trying to get to know another human being and how do they think and how, how does this, how do we work together and where are we on the same place and where are we different that we can learn from one another? So the, the projects in PA in the humanities classes and even in the English classes were much, were much more kinesthetic. There were still the research papers and there were still the annotated bibliographies and there was still all the other stuff that they need to learn to get into college. But all of a sudden, those projects, those papers become less daunting. All of a sudden, you have this, this way to talk about it that feels more personal, I think. The other place was just the interdisciplinary work. 
between, as I was saying earlier, between theater and English, where we we had the same cohort cohort of students. So we were always able to just, you know what, I'm going to take a half an hour of your class today to finish up this part of my project because we're working on the same project together. You know, we're dramatizing the literature that they're reading. The best example I can think of was the year that we produced Les Mis. The PA English classes were reading Les Mis. They were, you know, even if they weren't a part of the production, you know, all these students are starting to like contextualize the show that we're doing and and thinking about this big epic piece of literature and and understanding it in a new way and getting excited about reading it. And then the English and social studies also history got in on it, too. And it just became for like four weeks. It became the thing that we were all talking about. They're really getting to know the content in a different way that doesn't feel so two dimensional or one sided. They're looking at it from from multiple angles. So just in your idealistic imagination, this was a program that students could and still can opt into. But don't all kids learn better this way? I think so. (laughs) I think so. It's how I know I would have learned best. Yeah. You know, as as somebody who was growing up in the 90s, it I was still in a very traditional setting, you know, where it was lecture, regurgitate, lecture, regurgitate. And there's nothing more fun than getting up and 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 being with your peers. I think I do. I think students learn better by doing. Well, so then let's talk about the data. What was what were your observations of your students? I remember talking to you years ago about the pop program. And you saying something like, and we were always, we were just trying to raise our test scores. Like, you know, you're just trying to find a way to get students engaged in achieving. So what happened? It worked. It worked. Arts kids, well, you know, the theater kids and the music kids tend to have more investment in their education for some reason anyway. And the connection to school and the purpose in school, the interdisciplinary stuff and, and the kinesthetic stuff, I think really just got them excited about learning in a way that it hadn't before. And so it, it also, the other thing that I think is so vitally important that we don't talk about enough, and, and I talk about it with, when I was, when I was at UNC for a couple of years, I was, I was working in theater education. I was teaching the teachers and relationship, man, the relationship made all the difference in the world because all of a sudden these students really felt like they had a mentor or a teacher who, could, who they could really connect to, who knew them, who understood who they were. They weren't just another name in a class. They were actually these one-on-one interactions. They felt cared for. They felt invested in. I think that's that's one of the big things is that I always wanted my students to feel like an investment and not just a student. I was investing my time and my energy and my care in them. I wasn't just trying to, you know, to get them through. Yeah. Like a manufacturer, right? I'm just going to put you through this process and spit you out at the end. Yeah. And and so I think there was something too. I, I don't think I know there was something to the relationships that were forged in that process that really helped them also invest. And this was a, a product, but it was an intentional choice on our part. When it, when it came time to take the standardized tests, they were in a room. My students were in a room with me as the proctor. And so all of a sudden, when they look up at me and they see me and they think about the relationship that they have with me, they're a little more invested in what they have to do on this stupid test. Yeah, They care a little bit more about it because they know that that they're doing it not just for themselves, but they're also doing it for me. It's beautiful. So do you have a favorite success story from your time at the pop program or, or with any of your students in terms of how the arts impacted that student or learning? 
there's such a wide range of stories that I could tell. You know, I mean, there's there are stories that for some students, I think the only reason that they were able to graduate was because of the PA program. We were because they had that person who was looking out for them, who was constantly prodding them and pushing them and holding them accountable. There were students who probably wouldn't have even graduated high school had it not been for the PA program. And that's a huge success in itself. You know, do you remember any of those students? I remember one or two of the students. Some went on to to professions in the arts and some used what they learned to go become teachers. And and I think for me, what I always tell my students is, is, you know, I don't I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. That's all I care about. I just want you to be happy and productive and kind. And I think every single one of those students who's out there in the world right now who is happy, productive and kind is a success story. I really do believe that. The conversation that I used to have with them is you're the one who has to wake up every morning, open your eyes and go live your life. And the people who really love you just want you to be happy. So go be happy, you know, whatever that means to you. So I think, you know, there's there's success students, stories of students who are out as professional musicians and professional actors and, you know, who who have their work shown in galleries or went on to major in theater. I think the the measure of the success of the program is not always in quantitative data, but in qualitative data. And I think the PAW program made a huge impact in opening people's hearts and their minds and giving them confidence and self-esteem in places that they may not have have felt it in places in their lives. And I'm guessing too, just invalidating and legitimizing the arts and a career in the arts as an important and valuable option, which... I, I think that's right. And I think that's also something, you know, that that is discounted at times because we measure happiness by how much money we make versus how much we put into the world. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and also because the arts tend to be viewed as their extras, you know, their electives, they're the things that get cut first when budgets go down. So it's just the message that we get that these are these things that actually make kids want to come and stay engaged in school that should really be the most important parts that should be the parts that are integrated into all of our other learning. Yes. And it's also 21st century workforce education. You know I mean? That's that's what the communication, all of those soft skills that now employers are saying, why do why are we graduating all these people without these skills? Well, because we spent a couple of decades focusing only on tested subjects yep. and cutting budgets. That's exactly right. That's, that's exactly right. That's why. And, you know, I have, I, I have so many theater students who just have no problems getting jobs, whether it's in the industry or not, because they have those skills. Because they're good communicators and they're people people and they know how to listen and yep. they're aware. They have an awareness about their surroundings and a sense of story and all of those things. What did you accomplish with some of those students that you wouldn't have been able to accomplish without the POG program or or arts integration? Man, I think it just goes back to connection again. I think it just goes back to, to relationship and giving those students a soft space to land and a place where they knew that they were cared for and that somebody was invested in them as a whole human being and not just an aspect of them. Come as you are. I think that's what's beautiful about the arts is that we just invite people to come as they are, not having to fit into a mold, 
just really authentically bring yourself because that's how you're going to be your best artist. You're going to get the best work out of yourself as an artist. Mm, That's beautiful. Which also makes me think that that is the piece that's been particularly difficult to provide this past year as we're not with our students. But I'm curious if you could talk about how you've seen us really depending on the arts over the past year and how the arts have contributed to our ability to get through this crisis. Well, you know, the first thing we all turn to is streaming services. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, that's I, not a joke, right? Like we're binging Netflix joke. because we need it. Because we need it, we need the escape. So I think, you know, as we're talking about the value of the arts in society, I think hopefully we we got a better idea of just how important they are to us. Mm-hmm. That that's one place. I also think how many people took up some sort of art or craft over the last year to to get through the quarantine and get through their time by themselves and finding that artistic side of themselves to be expressive and and let things out that they're not able to let out in other ways the you know the the psychological trauma that we're all going through at this moment i think the arts have been incredibly therapeutic for people in that way i think even watching zoom theater or zoom concerts or you know, has has always been a has also been a good reminder for all of us of just how important it is for us as a community to come together and celebrate the arts. You know, to not be able to be in the same room, it, it's such a communal ritualistic experience for all of us that we don't think about. Mm-hmm. But to go to theater or to go to a concert and go into the lobby and get your ticket and then get your ticket punched and then find your seat. And then wait for the house lights to go down and the show to start. The buzz of the audience as it starts to quiet because you know the show's going to start. I mean, I'm tearing up. Like I can't, it's food. And it's, it's an, it's our, it's our 20th, 21st century. It's, it's an example of a 20th or 21st century century ritual. It's just, it's how we know that we're getting ready for something. And so, you know, I, I think that I hope that people are really excited about getting back into that and realizing how important it is for all of us to be in the room together, to have this communal experience, watching the same show, watching the same concert, walking the same galleries, whatever it is to have that experience, I think is, I know that that's something that I've been reminded of over the pandemic is just how, how much of a part of the community I want, I want to be. And I want that to be a part of the community is, is us experiencing those things together. Gavin and I both found it interesting to observe how the arts have contributed to national conversations over the past year, from all of the COVID parodies, the online concerts and virtual choirs, to the presidential inauguration with the iconic and symbolic monochrome fashions, Lady Gaga and Amanda Gorman's performances, and the endless stream of Bernie Sanders memes. During quarantine, my family and I regulated our fears and boredom by painting kindness rocks, starting a video kitchen dance throwdown, and making a surprisingly beautiful and ironic wall sculpture out of toilet paper rolls. Thomas Merton said that art enables us to find ourselves and lose ourselves at the same time. Well, and I, I think that's the place that we're also finding hope. You know, it's yeah. it's in the arts. It's in it's in the idea that we are all going to get through this. And and when you look at the moments, you know, you look after after the plague, right, was the Renaissance. And after, I mentioned earlier, after the pandemic of 1918 was the Roaring 20s, and it was a great time of art expansion. I'm hoping the same thing happens. And I'm really excited about it because I think in the national conversation about race, 
I think it gives us an opportunity to reset and really find out who we want to be and how can we create more space for people who have been marginalized and excluded. And I think this is going to be a great moment to see that happen. I believe that's probably true because we've, you can't do this amount of, of reflection and isolation without something being birthed out of it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're having those conversations in faculty meetings right now. Like this is what our department has been. Who do we want to be moving forward? Because it's given us all time to stop, think, reflect, look at what we do, what are our priorities and reset a little bit. Are you able to hold on to that when you get up and go to work in the morning every day to realize the kind of good work and impact that you're doing in the world? Do you do you remember it? Do you carry that sense of purpose? I, I try to. I think, you know, one thing that's been really helpful for me is just acknowledging gratitude. I start my classes with a moment of gratitude. We all close our eyes and we think about something we're grateful for. And I think it's so important for us to do that. Next year, I won't have to do productions and masks and socially distance. We can get back to the idea of theater being an intimate experience, which is what it should be. Yeah. Amen. So if I have a listener who's curious about to learn more about you, if they have questions, if they want to reach out, if they want to know more about Ithaca or see, you know, some of your productions or anything, how could they find you? The best place to go is to my website, which is gavinmare.com. You can find Gavin's contact information in the episode notes, where you'll also find information about the Pomona Arts and Humanities Program and our sponsor today, the Art Docent Program. Anna, an art educator from the Santa Barbara Unified School District, said, I have found that teachers often feel underprepared and uncomfortable about teaching multicultural art. I appreciate how the Art Docent Program encourages a sequential and in-depth integration of culture inclusive of several key dimensions of multicultural education throughout history. Bravo! The Art Docent Program is offering a one-month free trial, and you can request that via the Connect to Vendor button on their page at edcuration.com. While you're there, check out our other episodes, our Explorations Bite-Sized Professional Learning, and our Certified Ed Trustees Opportunities. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a comment, like, and share with colleagues. We hope you'll tune in again next week to learn more about the people, resources, and practices that are reshaping learning.